questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Terence Gray, better known as Wei Wu Wei, once said, In order to be effective, truth must penetrate like an arrow. And that is likely to hurt. It's no accident that the mainstream media, the propaganda arm of organized crime, is constantly using trick photography to give the rulers political puppets, the appearance of holiness using religious symbolism. It is one of the many ways the rulers indoctrinate the masses with a pseudo-religion, statism, slipped to them using government schools, scouting, military and police training, a mainstream media propaganda in news, films, and tell-a-vision programming. The next special guest wrote a book titled Understanding Our Slavery, which exposes the hidden control system and pseudo-religion of statism used by organized crime interests centered around banking and central banking to manage the population. During tonight's discussion, we will discuss several techniques used by Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, East Germany, and the United States to take free, sentient children and indoctrinate them into a worldview that produces obedient taxpayers and classic shave-headed cult members willing to kill foreigners on command or enforce on their fellow tax slaves. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas. And if you're new to the Veritas family, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, just click on the subscribe button. And don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and much more. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to help us understand our slavery, today's special guest is Etienne de la Buissy Squared, a volunteerist, anarchist author, father, technology entrepreneur, multidisciplinarian, truther, armchair economist, neo-abolitionist, and much more, who is experimenting with a large-scale cult deprogramming. He exposes the hidden curriculum of organized crime's mandatory government schools and scouting programs. He is a misplaced Texan who spends much of his time on the Silicon Plantation of Northern Virginia, where he stands ready to help federal, state, and local law enforcement understand the people and organizations behind organized crime's control of the government and media. His website is understandingourslavery.com. I would like to welcome Etienne de la Buissy Squared. Hello, Etienne. Welcome. How are you? I'm fantastic, Mel. It's good to be here with you. Glad to have you. First of all, the last name Square. Why don't you explain to the audience what that means? So the uh, original Etienne de la Buissy was a French political philosopher that wrote in the 16th century, and he was really the first to chronicle the tools and the techniques that rulers use to engender fealty and obedience in their subjects. And so I took his name as my pen name, and I used the square symbol uh, to kind of denote that, number one, I'm not the original Etienne de la Buissy, but also that I, uh, I'm, I've, I've, got his, uh, I've got his passion, and I've got his mission, but 
but I'm doing it with information technology. And so we'll take it to the power of two, hopefully. Uh, I can take what the original Etienne de la Boise was trying to do to the power of two using information technology. So in essence, you're taking the torch and continuing his work. Without a doubt. Well, let me begin with an old concept that seems to be rebranded lately, ending always worse than before. Now it's called democratic socialism. And again, their own definition of democratic socialism, laughably, as you say, claims would ensure economic growth and a fair distribution of income. Now, technically, any kind of socialism only achieves redistribution, quote-unquote, at the point of a gun, and, quote-unquote, fair to whom, who decides. And the concerning part, Etienne, at least to me, is this. A recent Gallup poll showed that 43% of Americans say socialism would be a good thing for the country. Millennials and Gen Z will make up 37% of the 2020 electorate. My question to you is this. If socialism has failed every single time, and there are over 100 million documented deaths associated with it, why do people continue viewing it as favorable? So, and, and there we get into the, uh, the core of my work, which is that the government of today is using technique, a technique called statism, where government in, in and of itself is a technique that I believe goes back to, you know, to monarchy and to before monarchy, where we're going to indoctrinate the population into a belief system that government is legitimate, it's necessary, and it's desirable. And we're going to do that using all the tools and the techniques of an unethically manipulative cult so that the population is, is not just is, 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 is essentially programmed to desire a government, to desire a father figure, to desire the supernatural entity that is going to take care of them. And because that's all they've, that's what they were given in the mandatory government school system, they grow up yearning for the father figure of government to take care of them in every aspect of their lives. Now, I've been saying that this cancer, Marxist ideology, is being harvested in colleges and universities. But it seems this is also present in our schools. And schools don't teach us how to think. They teach us what to think. Are they? Is this on purpose? They're trying to just get people earlier, earlier just like certain party here in the United States wants to get them at the age of 16 to be able to vote? So uh, without a doubt, so, the, so the, the idea that you need to have a government, that it's legitimate, it's desirable, or it's necessary is kind of indoctrinated using a, a educational technique called the Prussian model of education. And so having the teacher at the front of the room teaching uh, from a curriculum that's supplied by uh, a government employee um, that model of education was developed in what is now uh, kind of Germany, and the uh, it was specifically developed to inculcate obedience and fealty to the state. And prior, really, to the Prussian model of of ed- education, uh, people you know they wouldn't kind of they wouldn't join the military easily, they wouldn't pay their taxes, they wouldn't do what they were told. 
And the Prussians were really the first ones to figure out if we get them while we're young and we raise them in a kindergarten, a garden to raise children in, in the Prussian language, uh, we can we can raise them in this ideology of nationalism and statism and that the, the idea that it's legitimate that some people get to rule and control another group of people. And as long as you're, you know, grown up and you believe that it's legitimate for one group of people to control another group of people, then you're going to uh, you're going to um, be subservient to whoever controls that governmental apparatus until you realize in your mind that there is no coronation, there is no constitution, there is no election, there is no political ceremony or ritual that can grant one group of men or one single man the ability to rule and control other men. Now, before we go on, why don't you explain why you created the title, Understanding Our Slavery? And when when did you realize that even though we have been, quote-unquote, freed as slaves in, the, in this nation, we are still under slavery. When, when did that happen? Well, I, I think it started with libertarianism. When you first begin realizing that your rights come, are, come from you innately, they come from God, they're something that is innate within you, and that no constitution, no uh, you know, political ritual can take something and a right that is inherently yours and, and allow a group of men the ability to curtail that right. Um, otherwise, it's not a right. And so it starts with libertarianism. And, and it, I think that got me to the road to voluntarism, which is kind of a, a logical pro- progression. You understand how markets work. You understand how uh, the market mechanism delivers all of the kind of legitimate non-redistributive services that the monopoly government claims control over today. And once you kind of realize that those can be provided through voluntary exchange and that everything from police, charity to um, uh, to mutual defense can be provided in uh, without the coercion of government, uh, you're you're on the road to voluntarism. I will dissect that later because I think this is very important. But I think at the epicenter of a lot of what you discuss is the brainwashing, the propaganda. Why don't you dissect Operation Mockingbird? Uh, we've discussed this before. And then we'll talk about how a lot of journalists are actually paid assets of the intelligence apparatus that are positioned there in mainstream but their intelligence first in order to promote a narrative. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, so so the thesis of my book is that uh, intergenerational organized crime is controlling perception um, in society by kind of giving people statism in the government school system. And then the other side of the coin is they're controlling human perception by controlling the information that the population receives through controlling the mainstream media. And so on the kind of traditional uh, broadcast television, television production, movie production side of the house, you've got kind of six companies running hundreds of subsidiaries to give people the illusion of choice. And then on the kind of modern internet side of the uh, kind of the internet side of the ledger, you've got about a dozen uh, new media, social media, internet search, 
companies like Reddit, Wikipedia, Amazon Prime, Netflix, that are kind of controlling uh, perception on the new internet side of the house. And if these companies are operating as a cartel and operating together to kind of put out a false narrative on the legitimacy, the desirability, and the necessity of having a government, and they're giving society kind of a, uh, uh, a view that the status quo is legitimate, and the fact that every channel that you turn, essentially, is telling you that the system is legitimate, then you're going to grow up thinking that the system is legitimate. And so the CIA, they call that they call the ability to manipulate perception at this grand level uh, the mighty Wurlitzer. And they had a program that came to light during the Church Committee hearings of 1976, where it was disclosed that the CIA had hundreds and hundreds of journalists on the payroll in as reporters, as editors, and that they were using that capability to widely disseminate uh, propaganda through society. Um, the speculation uh, with respect to the name Operation Mockingbird is that if you can control the kind of the head ends of the information uh, highway, the largest wire services, the biggest networks, the cable news networks, then the regional papers, the smaller radio stations, the smaller television stations will just mockingbird what the larger uh, kind of uh, newspapers of record and major wire services are saying, and that most people will just mockingbird what the regional newspapers and their local television station is saying. And so if you control the head ends, uh, you can control all the way down the line unless people understand that there's a man behind the curtain and that these ostensibly independent companies are working together as a cartel with the express mission to distract and deceive. Obviously, Etienne, there's a tight control of the traditional or mainstream mediaopoly. All they need is a script, have some attractive people read it, and, and that's about it. You probably have seen those videos where you switch the channels at the same time and everybody's reading the same thing. But more and more people are obtaining their information through the new media, as you call it, YouTube, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon Prime, etc. I'm sure you've noticed how there's a major perch, or I like to call it a modern-day burning of the modern-day Alexandria library burning or a digital dictatorship rising. That was our last bastion. I mean, I, I personally have my own website. You have yours. But there's a probability that all they need to do is just change the DNS to block you and I. What else is there for us to protect truly freedom of speech and the people who know that they're coming to websites like yours and, and mine to get their information? So you're, you're absolutely right. And that's something that, that really everyone needs to be aware of, that there is a digital book burning and the digital book burning of the future looks like taking down your Facebook page, taking down your Twitter, shadow banning you on Twitter, demonetizing you if you are a new media journalist uh, trying to make a living on YouTube yep. uh, or uh, a variety of different ways where you can be silenced in the digital age. 
And because the system that we have, this internet system, uh, DARPA network, has been set up from the beginning with censorship, with the ability to ultimately censor, I believe, baked into the cake from the beginning, um, uh, as the new media has been lured into kind of these these platforms, as people have become uh, used to you getting their information from Google, um, now that we've we've achieved a position of trust, we're going to kind of bait and switch society, and we're now going to begin uh, controlling uh, the search results. We're going to begin turning off the uh, the uh, authentic voices that we don't like. We're going to begin censoring on a wide scale, multi platform, coordinated effort to to wipe off voices that we don't want to have heard. And so if you know that that's happening, then you have to be prepared and you have to be able to go outside of uh, the internet, hand-to-hand, physical books, physical uh, flash drives, physical DVDs. And so kind of the other thing, the other part of our program at Understanding Our Slavery is how do you, is, uh, is distributing evidence of government criminality, evidence of of, uh, of, uh, of, um, on flash drives, data DVDs, and physical books to get outside of the ability, government's ability to censor on the internet. I don't know how old you are, but I remember in the 80s when I had a Commodore computer, and I remember going to BBS, a bulletin board systems, to get information about the JFK assassinations, UFOs, and this and that. That was with a modem, basically just calling a number and you hear the screeching noise. You remember what I'm talking about? Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. I'm, I came up around the same time. Okay. Well, that was the time when you had to go get that information that way. Then the internet came. Then you get all the search engines. And now everything is consolidated, even though there are a few search engines. Google rules. We know that. And as you said, the bait and switch, I remember when Walmart came along, oh my goodness, you know, lower prices, let's go buy them. And all of a sudden, mom and pop stores started to die. The same thing happens here with the media. There used to be 72 entities in the 80s. Now there's only six, as you said. And the same thing happens happens with other industries. But it used to be three, three car companies, three food companies. But I think that it's the, the monopoly rules seem to be in the past. Now everything seems to be joining into one, one, one this, one that. Where are we going with this? So we're, we're headed to monop- monopoly. And so one of the things that I expose in the book, so it's, it's intergenerational organized crime centered around banking and central banking. And the bankers have given themselves the ability to create money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking which gives them an exorbitant privilege uh, to essentially loan money that they just create with the stroke of keys on a keyboard. And that ability to create money out of thin air has given the banks the ability to turn their little paper tickets into plant property equipment. And so they've been consolidating industry for around a century since the since they were kind of un- unleashed in 1913 
But if you're playing Monopoly with someone who is cheating and the banker is reaching under the table and grabbing $500 bills, at the end of the game, who owns everything on the board and who are renters and debtors? And so as long as the banks have the ability to create money out of thin air, they're going to continue to, con- to provide cartel companies that they're uh, uh, in bed with unlimited funds to consolidate their own industries. And where you see three uh, players, I generally see two. And so it's the illusion of choice. It's Walmart and Target. It's AT&T and Verizon. It's Office Depot and Staples. Uh, It's Dick's Sporting Goods and Sports Authority. It's Republicans and Democrats. It's the illusion of choice But at the end of the day, it's a company store and all the players are owned by the same company. Now, their competition used to be the smaller business. And if the goal is to just have one, or as you say, one, but operating like two, just to give us the illusion of choice. And and this is something that I don't think you discuss in in your material, but let me just introduce it here for a moment. If this is the case, and we're just going into one where we're going to see businesses fail because we're not going to be able to continue as small businesses, AI, artificial intelligence coming. With the introduction of AI and more and more people who are going to be let go in the next 10 years, I'm, I'm told that you're going to see semis on the roads just driverless. And that's a huge, huge amount of drivers who are going to be unemployed What's going to happen in the future when AI takes a large chunk of industry? I mean, some people say to me, because I'm a free market capitalist. I'm not afraid to say it. But some people say, we cannot continue having capitalism. But if the option is socialism, that doesn't work either. Then which is the alternative? So we, uh, I would argue that we don't have capitalism right now. We have a kind of uh, bastardized mixed economy. And even with the level of socialism that we have, it is choking and strangling economic opportunity and progress. Um, We could have AI in a a scenario that would be beneficial for mankind, but it's hard to have AI when we have a monetary system that is weaponized against the people because it allows banks to create money out of thin air, even though that process is inflationary. If if we if the banks simply weren't stealing the value out of everyone's money, all things being equal, we would be fabulously more well off than we are today. And so reform starts with taking back the ability for the banks to create money out of thin air and devalue everyone's currency in circulation. And that's going to be coming either through revolution of cryptocurrencies, asset-based money, community currencies, time banking, whatever the technology that replaces rapidly depreciating fiat paper tickets, that alone is going to help society regain some of its lost prosperity. And there's a few people who have tried that and they have paid 
with prison. I believe you said a few of these people in your book. What do you mention before we continue talking about the 20 techniques used by intergenerational organized crime? And this is something I've discussed for, for a long time. We remember from the 1930s till the 70s or 80s, if you had a business, the mafia would come to you and say, we need you to pay protection. That's your tax, right? But now we have legalized tax theft. But what do you mention a few of the people who have been imprisoned? I believe that you cite a few in your book. Take Ross Ulbricht uh, as an example. What did he do and what are, why are they in prison with, for a crime, uh, a victimless crime? So, so I, all of my political critique comes from the voluntarist standpoint where government, where it's illegitimate to have a government because if I don't have the ability to take your money and call it taxes or if I don't have the ability to make up rules for you personally and call it laws, then I can't delegate a right that I don't possess myself to a representative or to a government. And so that kind of, disallows for any kind of government because you can't delegate rights you don't have personally to a government. So Ross Ulbricht's crime was creating a website called the Silk Road that matched willing buyers and willing sellers around the world who were able to peacefully exchange Bitcoin for a variety of goods and services, not all of them legal in every single jurisdiction. So Russell Brick enabled a free market uh, because the U.S. government didn't like uh, there being an untaxed, unregulated free market based on free market principles. They took this young man who'd never hurt anyone with no victims presented at trial, and they've given him two life sentences in prison for not just not hurting anybody, but actually making it safer uh, for people to uh, to purchase black market items than the traditional corner black market. And that was his crime. And you have a few others. You have uh, Hiram Mann. We have Peter Steinmetz and Thomas Constanzo. What did they do? Selling Bitcoins. So, uh, so, so we, we talked about, so what is the, what is the, alternative to fractional reserve banking. The alternative to fractional reserve banking is decentralized cryptocurrencies that can be traded whether or not the government wants them traded or not, because the servers on which the code resides is decentralized and in some cases could be running on a satellite in space, could be running in in 150 countries simultaneously, but there's no central choke point for a government to get its hands around the currency's neck to be able to get rid of it. And so because these cryptocurrencies are now coming into the market to compete with central bank fiat paper dollars, the governments are trying to control who can buy and sell the fiat paper dollars by saying that it's a crime to exchange dollars for Bitcoins, which are just little strings of ones and zeros and numbers. And so you can say that exchanging 
a string of letters and numbers is illegal, but it's not, it's not really a victim. There's not really a crime. And so the government is continuing to harass entrepreneurs that are trying to get around the government's antiquated and immoral controls and rules. I'm going to be playing devil's advocate throughout the interview because a lot of people know where my where I stand in things, but I want to go the other way now. Take any cryptocurrency. If the goal of the powers that want to be is to have a cashless society, how do we know that some, because you can buy cryptocurrency with cash. So if you're the Federal Reserve and you say, I'm going to buy a billion dollars today of Bitcoin, and tomorrow morning they're going to sell it, wouldn't they be manipulating the market just like any other market anyway? Yes, and, and I believe that I believe that the that banks are manipulating the cryptocurrency market. It's a thinly traded market compared to the avalanche of dollars in the global markets. And so it doesn't take a lot of dollars to manipulate the market one way or another. That doesn't mean that it's not good for society to have alternatives to the U.S. dollar that are non-inflationary, globally available, instantaneous, decentralized, and all of the other desirable capabilities that cryptocurrencies give, give us to hold some portion of our wealth away from the prying eyes of government. And that is going that is desirable. The question is, can we ensure that the right cryptocurrency wins and that we have the, the freedom to, uh, to say no and that alternatives that are non-cryptocurrency related still exist in the market in gold, silver coins, and others. Uh, and so... I don't think crypto, cryptocurrency is an end-all and a be-all, but I think it's definitely uh, a challenger to traditional sovereign-based fiat paper currencies. In a perfect scenario, wouldn't the perfect scenario be, let's send the Marines to the Federal Reserve, abolish it, take control over it, link it to gold so that we cannot continue printing it and devaluing your money and my money with inflation? And just have a sovereign coin like we used to have for hundreds of years. Well, so I don't see any any government based solution winning in the end because you can't have a legitimate government. And so the question is: is how does society, um, uh, how does society devolve government? in a peaceful and orderly manner, starting, including the, the having a monopoly over the currency. So there's going to be a free market in currency. There's going to be a free market in, in, in money. And so how do we transition? And so I think that that's, that's really the question is, is, uh, is what does the transition look like? What about, again, not to get conspiratorial here, but we've heard of the EMP possibility. 
electro electromagnetic pulse bomb, whether you whether it's a false flag or not. But just the internet kill switch, which by the way, I don't know if you noticed this a couple of days ago, but I did. You know, I had thermostats in, in properties and Nest, Nest.com went down. YouTube went down. A bunch of the big ones went down. And I read that they were testing the internet kill switch. Did you hear that? Uh, I haven't heard that, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me. And so if you take a look at the at the the economic malfeasance of allowing the country to take the the currency and to base the U.S. currency and to create the amount of unsustain actuarially unsustainable debt and actuarially unsustainable unfunded liabilities, well then eventually these unfunded liabilities and this unsustainable debt is going to come home to roost. And when that happens, um, I don't think they're going to, it's going to be blamed on the bankers. I think they're going to try and blame it on some kind of external enemy that allows them to bring in a police state and uh, and so yeah, cyber uh, it, terrorist. It, it could be cyber terrorism, right? It's not going to be that we stole all the value out of the money. <laughs> it's going to be look at that terrorist bomb. Yeah, but but the number one uh, the number one suspect is going to be the U.S. The, the 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 bankers and their agents and allies in the U.S. intelligence services, and the U.S. intelligence agencies. Foreign intelligence agencies, and uh, and 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 I and I think we know who the the main suspects will be. I know what my point was with the EMP and the internet, internet kill switch. What about EMP? Boom! There's no electricity. All computers go down. How do you transact? All your cryptocurrency is stored somewhere. How would you be able to use it? Yeah, so in the in the book we say, you know, we recommend your core wealth be beans, bullets, and band-aids. And then uh, you know, a hierarchy of of you know physical precious metals stored in your own possession, um uh physical precious metals that you can't that stored outside of let's say the US, but instantly spendable and transferable using some of the the uh, the e gold and crypto based uh, gold uh, solutions, um, and then inflation proof cryptocurrencies. But your but if there was an EMP attack, then your core uh, wealth should be you know food for at least a year, uh, a battle rifle, um, first aid supplies, some place that you can go outside of a city. Um, you know, there's 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 kind of there's kind of some So about that, I muted you. So in your case, are you a proponent of cryptocurrency? Uh, I am a proponent of cryptocurrency, but I'm also a realist with respect to the to the NSA was thinking crypto in 1996, uh, almost a decade prior to uh, the Satoshi Nakamoto. Bitcoin white paper. So uh, some of the early entrants into the crypto market have all of the uh, hallmarks of kind of manufactured moguls and have Wall Street connections. And, and so I'm very, I'm, I'm very, very much of a realist 
in that uh, in that the crypto that ultimately wins needs to be a anonymous liberty oriented crypto. And so I'm trying to, you know, monitor the situation and see which one is trustworthy and uh, but uh, but kind of testing everything as they come out. So the basis of your book, you have obviously cite a lot of history from Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union, the United States, East Germany. Where is the epicenter? Where did this all start? So I think the so I think many of these techniques go back centuries and centuries and centuries to the original monarchs, which were the original organized crime of the time. And monarchs developed tools and techniques to create obedience and fealty in their subjects. And these tools and techniques transferred once kind of monarchy had run its course and people no longer believed in the divine right of kings, I believe monarchy transitioned power away from there being one king to we will allow the we will give the people democracy where the people get the ability to vote, knowing that they can easily control the outcome of elections through a disparity of campaign funds, through control of the press and control of the media, which has been an ancient technique that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years that we chronicle in the book, uh, through the ability of we're willing to use blackmail, bribery, assassination. We're, we're in power because we're willing to do things that others aren't. And so I think that that, that transition to, to democracy was, uh, was a way of continuing their ability to exercise power from behind the scenes, but giving the people the kind of illusion that they're in charge. So when it comes to Nazi Germany, of course, they learned a lot from us. And I don't mean to get into the genocide and the eugenics, but they actually came here before World War II ensued, and they took a lot of that back to Germany. And we have learned a lot from Germany. But let's go back to before that, World War I, with, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, we talk about the epicenter of all of this. But if we had to point the finger at somebody when it comes to the brainwashing, to the psychological warfare, propaganda, the father of modern propaganda, would you agree with me that it's Edward Bernays? Uh, Bernays and also perhaps Fichte, the... Uh, architect of the Prussian model of education, because I really think it's the, you know, part of it is we get them when they're young, we raise them up in this ideology of the state, this ideology of nationalism. We give them a flag, which I refer to as an indoctrinated holy symbol. We give them the holy documents of the constitution and the bill of rights. We put them into the church school. We have them do the common prayer of the pledge of allegiance and the common prayer of the national anthem. We, we give them a youth program where we now give them awards, Cub Scout adventure loops, Boy Scout merit badges for how to be a citizen, how to pay your taxes, how to caress the flag. Um, we now militarize the youth program. Now we give them guns. Now we put them in a uniform. Now we shave their heads. Now we uh, put them in conformity. We 
segment them off from the rest of society. We put them into our own kind of educational systems, young Marines, the Marine Corps running entire high schools uh, where they control the entire curriculum. And we can produce an order follower who is willing to set their, their humanity and their morality to the side and hurt other people because they've been ordered to do so. And that, though, that, that is FICTA in the Prussian model of education at the base, but without a doubt, Bernays comes in with how do you use the media? How do you, how do you sell nationalism at the modern level to the population as a whole using television? And so it is, uh, they're, they're both equally uh, as important, but you've nailed, you've nailed it. Those two men are influencing the thoughts of the population to this day. And I think a lot happened at the beginning of the 20th century. I mean, after the U.S. entered World War I, the Committee on Public Information hired Bernays, and focused on building support for war. I mean, this is almost like it's written today, domestically and abroad. And again, the term that of his work is referred to as psychological warfare. But I think a lot of events, Etienne, that paved the way to what we currently see today happened then. The enactment, enactment of the Federal Reserve Act, the Tax Revenue Act, World War I, the propaganda machine. And ever since, we really haven't stopped fighting in some way or another, and the brainwashing of the people just keeps getting worse. It's to be in colleges and, and universities, and we'll discuss that later. But now, as I mentioned, it's going down all the way to kindergarten. And the reason that we see constant warfare is if you want to rob the population and, you, and, and the amounts have to be progressively larger and larger and larger, well, nothing robs the population like warfare. And so every time a cruise missile rocks some empty valley in Afghanistan, somebody just made $200,000, $200,000, $200,000, $200,000, $200,000. But we're told that we were attacking ISIS. <laughs> so we're told a great many things, uh, and um, virtually none of them appear to be true. Uh, at least over the mainstream media and the mainstream propaganda system, which is now what I believe is now identifiable and visible as this handful of companies operating together as a cartel, knowingly lying and deceiving the audience with respect to the legitimacy of the government that's in power in Washington, D.C. right now. You wrote something interesting at the beginning of your book that the mainstream media is the propaganda arm of organized crime. I've been thinking about this for many years. Has the mafia taken over the government, literally? Yes. So that is the message of the book. It is intergenerational organized crime, murder incorporated. And the reason they get away with it is they own the media as well. And the media is being used to distract and deceive on an epic level that 
has never been seen before in human history. There's so many channels available to them uh, that there's a CIA document that discusses that if you're trying to deceive someone, your chances of success go up dramatically the greater number of information channels to that person that you're allowed to control. And that really is the strategy, is can we make virtually every single channel that the average person interacts with devoid of anything resembling news or worth or worthwhile information and nothing is, but distraction exception and this is why i mentioned that uh, i think after 20 before before 2001 i think this is the to me the rubicon part the rubicon was crossed after the patriot act was enacted because before journalists reporters would go out there and make the news but then after 2001 they really had to have control over what we want what we see what we entertain every single day and this is why again folks you turn on your tv and you switch the channels and you'll never lose the train of thought it's the same thing six o'clock news being repeated over and over again and this is why people i think today i saw in the news that the biggest worry citizens in the united states have is not terrorism is fake news because they realize how much the media lies all the time so they wonder what is it who is it that i'm going to be trusting from this point forward so they go and they transition into social media they transition into watching youtube videos that you upload videos that i upload and, and our colleagues upload are being demonetized which is making them just remove their videos and get out of the platform so is this the last bastion of freedom of speech, of true information that's uncensored, unfiltered by the powers that want to be? So I think that there's a lot of authentic voices that are on the internet and there's a lot of these, but these authentic voices are being muffled and are being, and are being censored algorithmically. And so at one, at one point, we're going to demonetize these alternative voices. We're going to make sure that it, the revolution is never recommended for you by YouTube. Um, and at the same time that we're minimizing the alternative voices, we're going to maximize the propaganda system by having the propaganda system recommended for you on every device on every, uh, on every um, channel, cross-promoted, again, through a handful of companies running hundreds of subsidiaries. But we're, we're minimizing the authentic voices while we're maximizing the propaganda. You know, slavery was abolished in 1865, I believe, in the USA. And the last country to abolish slavery was Mauritania in 1981. But we know slavery still exists. There are slaves currently being sold and traded in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. And when I say this, people say, how dare you say about that? Why are you talking about that, Mel? That's impossible. It's not true. There are even videos on the web. So, But let's pick on the United States for a moment. Are we really free? Is 1865 the moment where we became free? Or are we slaves to the what I call the 9 to 5 matrix and, and then some? So the, uh, the end of chattel slavery in the 1860s 
was only one form of slavery. Uh, I use the analogy of the mafia model of slavery, where the mafia doesn't own individual businesses. They just come around once a month and take a percentage of the revenue from the business. And so now the government doesn't own you outright because that would be economically inefficient. You may be a better cobbler than a field hand. And so by allowing you to choose your own profession makes you more kind of economically uh, efficient as a worker. And then we're going to steal the value of your labor through taxation and we're going to limit the quality of the money that you use so you're not able to really build up significant capital. Uh, and, and that tax slavery model is just as much a form of slavery as chattel slavery. They're just going to spread the amount that you work for the government over an entire year instead of taking everything that you make in January, February, March, April, May, June, and part of July, depending on when your tax freedom day is. But we're just going to, instead of taking it all up front, we're going to let you stretch it out over the year. And then the final aspect of slavery is really the difference between a free man and a slave is that a free man can say no a slave can't. And if you're expected to be a party to the government's myriad rules and regulations and monopolies and licensing schemes and demands for conscription and demands for searching your bags and demands at the airport and all the other ways that the government makes ridiculous demands, then this is obviously a tax slavery system. And really, the only way they get away with it is, again, they've taught the population in their mandatory government schools that it's legitimate while constantly propagandizing them across these hundreds of media properties that the system is legitimate. But what I see is the good news is more and more people are realizing that it's not legitimate. It's not necessary and it's not desirable to have a government at all. And fewer people are falling for the game every single year. And when you tell people that they're collateralized as chattel, that we are actually collateral to the Federal Reserve, they think that we're joking. But all you have to do, if any of you folks recently had a baby, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember years ago, this is before I knew this, They don't let you leave the hospital unless you get the social security number. And I'm told that you can say no and you can leave, but they do it in a way, in a very coercive way. In the past, when I was younger, my parents got my social security when I was 15 or 16, when I was getting ready to have my first job. But apparently they do this so that when every woman and child, I mean, a, a child is born, Immediately, they want to be able to, I believe, what is it, $2 million or, or, or something? What is the amount? Do you know it? So uh, I don't know the exact amount, but um, what I do know is, is now people are no longer getting the Social Security number, and they're no longer having their births in hospitals. 
And I know one family in particular that has, you know, two children, they're undocumented humans. Um, and they're not getting, they're not going along <laughs> with the government system. And so this is really the, the good news of the good news message is more and more people are saying, we're not going to get our kids in the system. We're not putting them in the government school system. We're not giving them any mandatory government shots. We're not giving them a mandatory uh, social security number. We're going to live on cryptocurrency. We're going to live uh, off grid. We're going to leave high tax United States for uh, jurisdictions where, where they're not doing road piracy and arresting you for plants. And so there is a big movement politically, socially, culturally, that is that is kind of exposing the criminality of government at the same time as people are withdrawing themselves from the system, including not even getting social security numbers, birth certificates, or anything else that connects you to the government. Let me address this for a second. You just said leaving the United States in order to, to just have a different form of, or, or no tax. But I've heard people at TN tell me, well, Mel, taxation is not theft because you're free to move to another country. Well, I remember when I was an expat in other countries in the 90s, I had to pay local taxes and taxes to Uncle Sam. There was double and triple taxation sometimes. So the shackles of taxation do not stop when you move to another country, and you would have to renounce your citizenship. And if you succeed, there may be an exit tax. They they make it very difficult. But you're saying that these people don't even have to renounce because they never got into the system. But what if you're born on U.S. soil? Please enlighten me. So my 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 friends that have the undocumented children, um, they still reside on human soil, but their kids have no papers and they're and they make their living mostly in the, you know, in the gray market where they don't pay any taxes and they don't uh, uh, and they and they get it, it, receive a certain amount of their income in cryptocurrency. And so that's just one example of some people that I know fairly well, but I know that that dynamic is not just limited to them. And so more and more people have are, you know, are leaving the system and saying, we're not going to pay your taxes. We're not going to withhold it for our employees. We're not going to um, uh, follow your rules. We're not doing it anymore. So when you travel, if they don't have, for example, a passport, how are they be able to leave U.S. territory? <laughs> my uh, my existing friend, the friends I'm thinking about, they have their own boat. <laughs> okay, which is one way, <laughs> which is one way you do it. But you're right, and so uh, you're right. So the choke point that organized crime governments are able to exercise their control is at borders and at airports where they're able to force people like cattle and force them through their system. And uh, that system is probably going to be with us for a couple more years, but ultimately I think it's going it's, 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 it's not going to be around because people want to be free. They, uh, they're, they're understanding that freedom is their birthright. And they're understanding the Ill, the illogic and the illegitimacy of having these governments 
And I just don't think they're going to continue to go along with it as more and more people realize that the system is is corrupt, it's, it's illogical, it's illegitimate, it doesn't make any sense. And so I think more and more people are going to opt out in, in all these different ways. I don't think that they can hold the culture together. Um, uh, there's just too many channels uh, to, to, to get it you know, cohesive. Uh, and, and so I, I think you're going to see different um, uh, uh, communities of people that are you know, kind of pulling themselves out of the, out of the system. The more I think about this, the more I think that the one of the biggest threats we have, not only the powers that want to be, but it's the number of zombified people who believe everything they're told. And to them, you and I are both subversive, terrorists, crazy, because we think that what is happening to us is nothing but modern day slavery. Yes, yeah, so so it is it is tragic that that this system um, is being used to give such a large percentage of the population an artificial outlook on the legitimacy of the existing government, on the the uh, health of the economy, on the uh, the desirability of taking the government shots or drinking its fluoridated water. Or sending it their your kids to its schools, but more and more people are realizing how harmful government schools, government shots, and government is, and more and more people are taking it out. And so this revolution is only going in one direction. And once somebody realizes the illegitimacy of government, the illogicalness of government. They never, ever go in the opposite direction. And so um, I, I'm incredibly optimistic that we're ultimately going to win this thing and that we're going to have a, you know, a future where people treat each other without using violence and that everything is provided through voluntary association, the free market and charity, and that, uh, and that, and that this, this, this idea of, of that some people get the ability to use violence on others in society will be relegated to the dustbin of history. Before we take our, our break, why don't you define, I should have done this before, voluntarism and the non-aggression principle, and then we'll continue part two after the break. Sure. So voluntarism is the idea that you own yourself and that all interactions between human beings should be voluntary. If I don't have the ability to steal your money and call it taxes, myself personally, if I don't have the ability to make up rules for you and call it laws, then I can't delegate a right that I don't have myself to a representative or to a government. And so if the ability for the government to do everything that it does and in, uh, in redistributing income and controlling the business cycle and mandating monopolies and, and all of the ways that it interferes with the economy. If it didn't come from we, the people, then where did it come from? And so the thesis of my book is that it's been intergenerational organized crime that realized that the way to rob and control society is to give the people a model of society where it is legitimate for people to use violence on other people 
if you call them the government. And they kind of gave uh, a mythology behind that. But if you peel it back and you take a look at how it got started and, and just the core tenets of its of the of the philosophy, you realize that it's illegitimate and illogical because there's no way to legitimately give one group of people the ability to use violence on another group of people. And so once you realize that there's no way for you to legitimately use violence on another group of people, you have to figure out a way to live your life where you don't have the government, but you have private organizations providing services in a free market where nobody has the ability to use violence on anybody else. You have the right to defend yourself, but you don't have the ability to get what you want using violence. So everything must be done voluntarily. And that political philosophy is called voluntarism. And it is the most moral out of all of the political philosophies because it is the one philosophy where nobody gets to use violence on anybody else. Nobody gets the ring of power. And so it's the only thing that's fair for everyone in society. The Republicans would have you believe that they, that they want you to elect their candidate and that once he's elected, he gets to rob everybody in society to put his political party's ideas into practice on force. And the Democrats say, no, elect my guy and he'll rob everybody in society and we'll put these ideas into practice by force. And voluntarists step back and say, hey, no, that system is illegitimate because it uses violence. And we say we will voluntarily trade and exchange with people. We will create governance without having governments. We're not saying that there's no rules, but we're saying we can do it without rulers and that everything the government does could better be done by the free market and by real charity than through a mechanicistic monopoly on force that we call a government. When we come back, and I was going to read some bullet points before we're going to be discussing part two, but I'm going to, not going to. Just because part one usually is what we upload on YouTube also, but we are currently, maybe when you listen to this interview, maybe we are out of YouTube jail, or maybe our channel will be completely gone because I've received a few emails saying that it's under review right now, but the news is showing that they are planning to shut down, completely shut down white supremacists, which we're not at all. But they put us in the category of conspiracies and social engineering. What a hypocrisy when they're the ones that are in charge of social engineering. But I'm not even going to read the bullet points. We're just going to take a quick break, come back. How can people buy the book, Understanding Our Slavery, and all your other books? So that if you want to understand our slavery, you have to go to understandingourslavery.com. By the time that this this uh, this airs, uh, the book will be in back order. We just sold out the third printing. We're going into the fourth printing, and I will have copies within two weeks. And until then, you can download the book for free in PDF at understandingourslavery.com. 
Excellent. Folks, don't go anywhere. A lot more information when we come back. Don't want to miss it. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. The website, understandingourslavery.com. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.